Scripture reading for today is from 2 Corinthians, starting 2 Corinthians 1, starting in verse 12. For our boast is, is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so toward you. For we are not writing to you anything other than what you, need, what you read and understand, and I hope you will fully understand, just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus you will boast of us as we will boast of you. Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and come to and to come back to you from Macedonia and have some have you send me on my way to G, to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes or no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For, I, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. But I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming, against, from coming again to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. 2 <clears throat> Corinthians 2, verse 1. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. For if I cause you pain, who is there to make you, me glad for the one whom I have pained? And I wrote as I did, so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of, all, of you all. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart, and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Good morning. How are we sounding? Um, let's pray. Father, we want to come before you and just acknowledge that uh, this is your word and um, that we stand under you and we stand under your word. It is your spirit that changes. It is your spirit that speaks. It is your spirit that um, transforms. Um, and so, Jesus, I pray that uh, today you would be manifested here uh, in your living word. And that as we come up under it, that our hearts would be quickened uh, to respond and rejoice. And um, that we would be uh, readied, like, a, like that bow he was talking about, 
uh, with an arrow, we'd be readied uh, in your bow um, to destroy the enemy um, in prayer and to go out and um, yeah, just release this word that is uh, in us, that is, you have planted in our hearts to go and uh, take it to the world in whatever situation we find ourselves in, uh, in action and in a word indeed. Thank you. Speak today. Amen. Uh, I love the title of this sermon series. Um, it's called Compelled. If we can throw that slide up there again. <laughs> um, and I, I, went, I dug into this word um, in, in the Greek a little, and I was like, what does this mean? I just want to kind of get an idea as I uh, started preparing for this message. And um, this word compelled in the Greek Sinchomai, that's an, anyway, um, but it actually means, it's actually used in, um, in the Gospel of Luke to describe someone who was demon-possessed. So it's the same word that's used, and, and it's got some different usages and meanings. Um, one is like when, when they were all surrounding um, uh, Jesus when he was about to heal the woman who was bleeding, they were all like pressing in on him. Right, that's another usage, or to be hemmed in. And then the ESV actually uses this word as controlled. So this word compelled, you know, in, in our usage can kind of mean like we're compelled to, to go do something. Like I, I, I'm compelled to go. But there's a stronger sense that we're actually almost possessed by the Holy Spirit, right? We're possessed by the love of God. And that's, what the, that's the context for this. We are possessed by the Holy Spirit to do what he has called us to do. We are his and possessed. We are, we are now his people. And that his love controls us, compels us, hems us in, surrounds us to go and do what he has called us to do. So there is, when you have the Holy Spirit, there's not like a, uh, uh, I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. It's no. Yes, in Christ, I'm going to do and follow what he has called me to do. So that is the usage of this word compelled. So we're compelled by the love of Christ. So I want you to kind of let that just sit in and, 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 and marinate as we talk today. Um, so I, I called, I titled this message, A Derelict's Joy. Now what's a derelict? A derelict is somebody who's been kind of cast away, who's been kind of uh, tossed aside, who doesn't have a good reputation. He's been said, you know, not, not really important. He's, he's disrepute. His, his reputation is tarnished. And so um, I, I titled it that because Paul has, in, in light of this uh, letter to the, to the Corinthians, in light of his work with the Corinthians, he has been kind of disreputed. And so these, in Corinth, um, their, their culture, their, um, the way that their culture kind of works is that they are um, like public boasting and self-promotion had become an art form to them, right? Recognition was often more important than facts, to them, right? And the worst thing that could happen is, is that your reputation would be publicly tarnished. And so for them, Paul's suffering and all that has actually tarnished his reputation. So uh, I don't know if that reminds you of anything, though. Does that remind you of anything, that, that, that description of culture? That, that, to me, it reminds me of our culture today. And Dan pointed that out as well, kind of even like Colorado culture. But, but 
culture today is that we kind of unite behind ideologues or people with big personalities, and it's all about whether or not they, they spoke the best or they did the best or whatever it is. And so people get united around these ideologies and ideologues and the, and, and the tip of the spear, the person who is speaking about that. And so we have to, to think about that. Are we following those, those people or are we following Jesus? Like what is, what is the, the primary motivation behind our getting behind people? Right? And so we have to be careful that that's not just a, something that we're taking on from the worldly culture. But anyway, I see very, very interesting parallels uh, to those two things. So let's get into the text. Um, I call it, this first part is a derelict's boast. So, so Paul here has a boast, right? And he, talks, and he starts with verse 12, and he says, For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience. And so, you know, I think the, the word conscience is, under you, is underdeveloped in our Christian uh, theology. I don't think we talk about it enough. I don't hear it enough from the pulpit. I don't, I don't hear it enough in, in sermons that I, that I listen to or, or books that I read. But I think conscience is, is used a lot in, in, um, in, in the Bible, uh, frankly, in the, in the New Testament. Uh, Paul talks about his conscience. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, it says... Um, for the aim of our charge is this, love that issues from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. So there's something very important about our conscience being cleansed and cleaned. Um, in Mexico, uh, when we were there, um, pe- people would wash their clothes in a different manner. If you had a, a, a washing machine, you had a privilege. So there, to normally... People would just take their clothes, they, they, they'd have a big wash basin, and then they have this washboard. You've probably seen one. We use it more for music now than washing uh, clothes. But they would take their clothes, and then they would just scrub, and they would scrub, and they scrub, and they have stains on it, and they just scrub. They just keep scrubbing and scrubbing and scrubbing. I don't know about you. Did, is that what you do, though? Do you do that with your conscience? Do you scrub away with your conscience trying to cleanse yourself? And all of your sins and problems and difficulties, do you just keep scrubbing, hoping those stains will go away? Now, how do you do that? There might be different ways that we do that. And one of the ways might be just to, to make yourself look better, right? Reputation, recognition, right? Or, or maybe, it's, uh, maybe, maybe physically you try to do that, right? To cover up whatever you feel is not like your conscience is telling you within is not good. So if you're in Christ, you can stop scrubbing. You don't need to do that anymore. You don't need to to keep pressing and scrubbing away. It is finished. It's cleaned. You are white as snow. So Paul knows this. The testimony of our conscience, right, is that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so, towards you. So it didn't just come with a good conscience. It wasn't just that he realized that I'm saved and, and, and I know that my Savior has done that. It was also that he acted in accordance with that. So it was, it was yes in here. It was also yes out there. It was, it was happening in all of his actions towards the Corinthians. He loved them, right? And he did so with sincerity, right? That behavior demonstrates sincerity, so when we, sincerity is not just a quality of like, you know, I can tell you something and you believe it. It's actually demonstrated out and you actually um, see it happening. 
And so he behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God. And that harkens back to his first letter, uh, the first letter to the Corinthians that we have in our Bible. There's actually four letters, <laughs> but we only have two of them. Um, there was one letter, and then there was 1 Corinthians, there was a third letter, and then now there's 2 Corinthians. Um, but in his first, his first letter to the Corinthians, the one that we have, um, 1 Corinthians, he talks all about earthly wisdom versus the cross of Christ. And we're going to talk a lot about that today, just this idea that um, Paul has this real depth and understanding of the cross and how simply, simple it is. And the Corinthians couldn't understand that. They felt like they needed all the, the boasting and the, and, and, and the intellectualism in order to understand the true nature of Christianity. They needed to understand all the arguments and all the, the facets and all the things about it in order to really, truly get to the heart of it, but they didn't. It was the cross, and Paul said, I, that's, that's all I wanted to preach to them because that, they didn't get it. All they got was all this stuff up here, all this intellectualization. That's all they really cared about. Right? But really, what he wanted to let them know is that it's the cross and Christ crucified that is the base message. And so that's the, the, this earth, the, the grace of God instead of the earthly wisdom that he's trying to help them understand. And so uh, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, he talks about his boast in this way. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me. Right, this sets the tone for Paul's boasting. But why is Paul, here's a question, why is Paul boasting about these Corinthians? They're all over the place, and they're, they've like cast him out. They've, they've basically said, you're a derelict. We don't think that your ministry has any authority. Look at your suffering. Look at your pain. All the things that are going on in your life. Like, you have zero authority. Why, why in the world, right, why in the world would Paul be boasting about these people who are saying so many negative things to him? Well, he states that he behaved in accordance with this simple gospel and that it was beset with weakness and suffering, and that demonstrated his sincerity. You see, for if money or power or intellect or performance is on the table, right, there will always be a question as to motives. But not so with Paul, and certainly not so with Christ. For the Son of Man had no place to lay his head, nor did Jesus speak loftily, right? He was always full of mercy to a sincere sinner and was always admonishing deep, religious, prideful people that could not bear their own souls and their conscience. The question is, can you bear your own soul? And I say that as a double entendre. Can you bear it and can you bear it? Can you open it? Are you willing to be naked before God in your soul and to say, this is who I am. This is me. And thank you for your grace. Thank you for the cross. That's it. That's the basics. And these people didn't understand it. The Corinthians were so, they were so up here trying to fix and, and change everything and make sure that everything looked good and flowery and that their reputations were great and that, and that everybody loved them and their message, but they didn't get it. It was all about his message. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, it says, And when I came to you, brothers, 
did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. For I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So their faith rested in the wisdom of men. Let's look at verse 13. For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand, and I hope you will fully understand, just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of the Lord Jesus you will boast of us as we will boast of you. So he's not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand. So basically this is, again, he's saying this is the cross. This letter is just dripping with the, this, the cross, this, this whole letter. And he's basically just saying, listen, you already understand this. However, it's only a partial understanding. Like they don't have the full understanding because it has not been lived out. It has not been behaved out. It is not showing itself in their actions toward one another. It is just they understand it and they're preaching about it, but it's all for their own reputation and their own sense of recognition. And so he's like, well, you've only partially understood it. I don't know about you. I, I, um, I growing up, right, so I, my parents, right, when they handed me the keys when I was 16 years old, right, they would tell me something to the effect of, well, drive careful, right? And so if they, if they would have asked me, how are you supposed to drive, you know, after a, many a lesson, I would have said, I'm supposed to drive carefully. So I partially understood that. So one night at a party, right, uh, about 16, 17, with my friends, whatever, my friends said, can you take me home? I was like, oh, man, it's kind of early, you know? It's like, all right, well, since I'm feeling like a race car driver, I'll take you home. And so I got in my car. We went off, and we were in the neighborhood. It was black. There was no street lights. It was, it was super pitch black. And um, I was kind of speeding through this neighborhood and um, lost control of the car. And we're, the, the car was like, I mean, the, the road was doing this dog leg left almost, and our car just might, just went straight out into this field about 100 yards, just sliding. If there had been a tree or a ditch or anything else, we probably might not have made it. Um, you see, I partially understood that I needed to be careful. <laughs> I had not lived it out. You see, that's, a, that, that, that's an important distinction, and Paul is drawing that to them. However, right, He's saying, even though they only partially understand the gospel, even though it has not come to fruition yet in them, he's still boasting of them. This is, this is a fascinating idea that Paul would actually boast of people that he has not yet seen behaving in accordance with the gospel. And then he says, just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us as we will boast of you. He knows that when they stand in heaven together, when Jesus comes back, that they will be like, hey, man, do you remember? Remember all that, the, the cross that you preached to us? Man, I, man, we completely squandered that. We were completely on the other side of that. I cannot believe what we were doing. And Paul's like, yeah, I know. And you know what? I was praying for you guys. And I knew that this would happen. I knew you would come to your senses. I knew that you would understand that the cross of Christ is what it's all about. 
And there's just, just this idea that they would be boasting of each other in heaven. And that's what it's like. You know, that's what this ministry should be like is that we're, even though we see what other people are doing or maybe we're hurt or problems and, and even, even in the church, right, are we praying for the church? Are we boasting of even what God might do in his great church? Even if we don't see it now. Hmm. I want to tell a... a um, a little parable, and it's, and it's based on some facts about bamboo. I don't know if you guys know about bamboo. There's a variety of bamboo. It, 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 it just, it, it's planted, and it takes three years to grow its roots, and then it you know, springs up. Anyway, so there was a poor farmer who planted some bamboo in the ground, and every week he watered it and fertilized it and gave, gave it all the attention he thought it needed. Week after week he did this. Every week as he watered it, he would begin to boast about what a great harvest of bamboo he would have. He would boast of the most amazing house he would one day build. He was so joyful and confident of this. But the first few years, the bamboo only sprouted a little bit. It only grew a foot or two. His neighbors came by and saw him watering and fertilizing and boasting, and they questioned him. Where is this great crop? We just see some little stumps. Week, and week after week and year after year, he continued to do the same thing. And there was no more growth. It just stayed right there, just little stumps. His neighbors' ridicule heightened and turned to disbelief, and finally they turned their backs, and he was no more than a fool to them. At the beginning of the third year, the man's dilapidated house just breaks down. He's experiencing affliction and suffering. Even so, he continued the watering, the fertilizing, the believing, the boasting about this great crop. Three full years of this, and now he doesn't even have a house, a reputation as a farmer, and yet he continues to boast of his future bamboo and his future house. During this third year, however, all of a sudden, miraculously, a stump of a plant grows 90 feet tall in just five weeks. The man takes this massive crop, builds the most amazing house out of bamboo you've ever seen. His neighbors cannot believe their eyes when they see the house and the joyful farmer. Just this, this picture of like what Paul's thinking and believing about the Corinthians. There's only these stumps are coming up, these gospel stumps, and they're just they're not formed yet. But yet he's believing that one day it will just sprout up at the day of the Lord Jesus. And so Paul, this is his boast. And then Paul realizes his own weakness, his own suffering, whatever is serving them so that they might grow. He says in uh, 2 Corinthians 11.30, If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. In 12.10, he says, For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. First Corinthians chapter 1, 27 through 31. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. And that was Paul's life. If, if, you, if you read and study Paul's life, much suffering, much pain, but it was all for others, all for the joy of others. So Paul has this uh, decision to make, um, and I call this next part of this a derelict's decision, right? 
And and in verse 15, he says, because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. So Paul is not, he has this question in his mind, should I go back or shouldn't I? Should I return? Would that be good for them or, should, or maybe not? Right? He sent this really tearful, severe letter to them about their sin. And he's like, well, if I go back, is that going to cause them pain and, and struggle? Or is it, is it going to be good for them and, and I need to like, you know, continue that message? Well, Paul right, decides not to go. And so because of that, you know, there's this question in the Corinthians' mind. What is, Paul con- continues, right? He's saying yes and no. This is, he's wishy-washy. He's a suffering. He, he's, he's, he doesn't have any authority. He's wishy-washy. This guy, he doesn't have it together. You know, we're going to go off and follow these other guys who they seem real confident and, you know, powerful in their message and what, the way they speak and their rhetoric is so great. And we just love that. But Paul, yeah, I don't know, he's... He looks like he's just vacillating and, and going back and forth, right? So he says in verse 17, was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh? Ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes or no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. And that, that song just captures that beautifully. See, Paul, right, he's trying to make his decisions, right? He doesn't know what to do. He's not sure if, it's, if going to them was going to love them best or if staying is going to love them best. But the, the bottom line here is that because Paul is compelled by the love of Christ, because he knows Jesus, because he knows that the cross is his centerpiece of his life and his heart, then he knows that his yes is in him whether he stays or whether he goes. He knows 100%, no matter what decision he makes, that Christ is his yes. That, that no matter what, if he goes, right, if he makes that decision, in Christ, it's still yes. And if he stays, he understands that in Christ, it's still yes. He's guided by the Holy Spirit. The question is, do you trust... in the Holy Spirit? Do you trust its guidance? Do you trust its its leading? Are you able, when you pray, right, to recognize the voice of the Spirit? Now, does the Spirit always say, do this or do that? No. Sometimes we see in the Bible even where the Spirit expressly told Paul to do something. Now, that's not always the experience. Sometimes the experience is, I don't know what to do. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I'm supposed to do this or I'm supposed to do that, right? Have you ever had that, that, that pit point where you made a decision and you're like, man, did that, was that the wrong, was that simple? Was I listening to God? You know, you just have that kind of over and over again and you kind of get that thing and you're like, man, am I, am I following? Is God, are you there? Like, I don't know. You just kind of get tangled up. But I encourage you that you would understand that, you're, that in Christ, whatever decisions you make, right, no matter... Even in your sin and your suffering where God seems distant, right, 
the yes is in Christ at the cross. That you can just welcome him and help him and, and remember that in him you have full access to everything that he has for you. He ha- you have complete access, even in the midst of your sin. He is close. He is so close. And even in your sin, it's, I, would believe, I would say, and I may have said this before, but I believe he gets closer because he bore it. He knows what it felt like. He knows what that, that struggle is like because he had it more than you ever will. He experienced that sin. He experienced that pain. So you can actually just say, yes, I have my Savior. And when I make a decision, it's still yes, no matter whether it turned out with suffering and pain or whether it turned out with rejoicing, whatever it is, it's yes in Christ. And you get closer to him and you understand him better at the cross when you suffer, even in the decisions that you make. So I I want to read a a verse from one of my favorite passages of Scripture, um, Isaiah chapter 30. Verse 20, and though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teacher will not hide himself anymore, but your eyes shall see your teacher and your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it, when you turn to the right or when you turn to the left. That's just this promise that in Christ, no matter which way you turn, the yes is in Jesus. It's him. It will always be him. And at the cross, you have the access because of him dying for you. Your sins do not separate you from him anymore. Let's look at um, Philippians chapter 4, verse 20. And it says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness reasonableness, be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And I want to stop there. Now, what does Paul say when, when you let your requests be known to God? And God's going to answer every one of them, and you're going to have total clarity. No, that's not what he said. Now, he does answer all your prayers, Right? But this is not the, the context of this passage. And it says, when you, by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, right, let your requests made known to God, then it says this is the result. <laughs> the yes in Christ is verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So you will have, even in these requests, you know, sometimes we're looking for that answer as though this is going to prove to me that God is really with me. Or this is going to prove to me somehow that I'm, God, you know, I'm following God and what he's doing. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is that you have it and you are secure in it 100%. That your yes is Christ 100% no matter what happens. And that's when the gospel starts to fully form in you and grow up. That even Paul, the apostle, who brought them the word that planted the church, and they're like, eh, I don't know about Paul anymore. <laughs> He's the one who planted it. And they're like, oh, man, look at these guys. They can speak better than Paul. No, it should have been like, oh, our Paul, our brother who planted, yes, in Christ, we love Paul. Now, Paul understood it, and he saw beyond their vision, and he's boasting of them. But they couldn't, do, they couldn't see that yet. But Paul was patient. 
and he loved them. He was compelled by the love of Christ. Are you compelled by the love of Christ? Are you compelled by the love of Jesus because your yes is always in him? No matter which way you turn, no matter what happens, no matter what pain, suffering, trials come your way. Hmm. So I'll, I'll get to this, the last part here, a derelict's joy. This is Paul um, talks about his, his boast of the Corinthians, uh, he, his yes is in Christ, and then ultimately, right, they are his joy and he's working for their joy. In verse 23, it says, but I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. All right, so he didn't come to spare them. He didn't want them to have any more anguish. He had sent them enough letters at this point, right? He had sent the last letter he sent to them was even more severe than 1 Corinthians, and there's some severe parts to 1 Corinthians. They were, had not repented, and apparently, though, some had, many had repented even after this last letter, but there were still who were people who were <laughs> um, making him a derelict. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pain? He's like, if I come, there's going to be pain for me, and it's going to be pain for you. So I'll just write this letter. And I wrote as I did so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice, right? So he's like, me coming should have been a rejoicing time. It should have been something where we come together and, and celebrate the yes of Christ, celebrate who he is, celebrate his life in me and us, right? That's what it should have been, but yet they were not ready for that. And so he's like, well, I think I, th I, think I just need to write this, this last letter. And he does end up going back. But at that time, he didn't. And I wrote as I did. Wait, so on verse 4. Okay, so he's, no, I, I'm sorry. And I wrote as I did so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For then he, then he talks about his boast again. He goes back to this idea of that, for I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. And so he's, again, cast aside, disreputed, and yet he's sure that, his joy would be the joy of all of them. He's secure in that. He's absolutely secure that even the ones who are painting him and the ones that he is giving pain to, that there would be joy ultimately at the day of Christ. And that is his boast. Paul, Paul you know, he talks about boasting a whole lot. Even later in the letter, you know, he, he, he talks about how all of, he starts boasting of all the things that he's been through. All the calamities and shipwrecks and, and beatings, 30, 40 lashes minus one. And 40 lashes could kill a man, right? So he's boasting of all this. And then he tells you, like, I'm talking like a madman, he says. Like, I'm boasting of all this, but why am I boasting of this? It's like, why do I need to boast of all these, these hardships that I've been through? You don't, I mean, you don't even like that. It's not, it, you think that I'm more of a disrepute or I'm less... Um, authoritative because of that, because he knows in his heart of hearts that that draws him nearer to Jesus, that, that in suffering, right, we're drawn nearer to the cross. We become more like Christ in our suffering, and that's a joy. That brings joy. That's a fascinating kind of juxtaposition that we would suffer more, we would know Christ more. 
because we actually get to enjoy the resurrection even more when we suffer. We enjoy the coming out of it. We enjoy the, the coming through it. And so Paul is working for their joy. And that's, that's a fascinating thing. We go back to verse 24. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy. Paul's goal in ministry, right, is to see the joy of the Corinthians. His goal. What is your, what is your goal in ministry? What is your goal when you minister to others? What is your goal when you wake up in the morning? Is it, man, I want to see the joy of others. Not me sometimes. <laughs> Not me. I'm like, man, I'm just, how do I, you know, what do I got to do today? You know, how can, I, how can I win the favor of this person? How can I, you know, do this? And that's a struggle growing up was, was recognition. I always felt like I needed to be recognized. And, and, and people needed to see me as someone important or respected. That was a, a huge problem that I had to repent of, that idolatry, right? But I don't know about you, but we have to repent. And then we have to work for the joy of others. This word joy in, in the New Testament um, it actually has its same Greek root as grace and gift, right? They're the same continuum. It's almost like, um, as a resource put it, farm, farmer, or farming, right? Grace, gift, and joy. And we don't always think about them all in the exact same kind of wording and, and activity, but it is. So God gives us the gift of grace. It's this grace that comes to us. We receive the gift from God, and we received gifting as well like our spiritual gifts, and every one of us has them who is in Christ, right? And then when we give those gifts, when we give it to others, then those people rejoice because of the gift that they've received. It's all just one continuous effort, and it's just a cycle. We receive the grace of God, right? We are gifted, and we are giving our gift away so that others would rejoice, and so we just continue that process over and over and over again. That is the cycle of ministry. If there's any other cycle in ministry, it's, it, and it's not in that, then we need to discard it because that is what we're to do. We receive his grace. We're to be gifted and dwelt by the Spirit and give that gift to others so that they would rejoice. So be reminded of that, that this, the process of this is to bring others joy. And if you don't see your people around you rejoicing, then go back to square one. Grace. Remember the grace that you have grace, that you have been given it. And then you just get that gift and you say, God, how do you want me to use that? And then you give it away so that others would rejoice. And when, they're, when you see the rejoicing around you, then you see that coming, the gospel coming to fruition. You see it growing up like that bamboo tree so quickly. Joy, though, is not a cheap thing. It's not just a, oh, a, a momentary happiness. Um, John Piper had this to say. He said, joy, this was not a cheap goal for Paul. So many people, when you start talking about joy, start having light thoughts, not heavy thoughts. All my th thoughts about joy are heavy, so heavy that they almost crush me to the ground. Life is hell, and therefore, to talk about joy in it is absurd. It's just wild. It's crazy. It's supernatural. It's off the charts unrealistic. There's nothing frivolous or light about it. Paul knew this very well. So his ministry was just soaked in this idea that 
I'm going to be afflicted. I'm going to be pained so that you would have joy. Christ did the same when he went to the cross, right? Hebrews 12, 2 says, for the joy that was set before him, right? He endured the cross, despising its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of God. He, he knows that one day this church will be raptured up to him. And there may be much suffering before that happens. And we all suffer day to day, right? We suffer. We go through pain, struggle. Our flesh is, it's got serious issues, right? But when we live for the gospel, when we live in the spirit, when we, when we are walking towards God, our teacher, right, whether we turn to the right or the left, it's yes in him. It's an always, always yes. And that will bring joy when we come to maturity and we are seeking the joy of others. One day, right, one day we'll be with Christ. And that'll be a beautiful day, an amazing day. We'll boast of one another. He'll peel back the fleshly layers and reveal the shining gift, right, that is in this jar, this broken jar of clay, right? This broken earthen jar of clay contains a treasure, and then one day it'll be released, right? So Paul says in chapter, chapter um, 4, he says, um, so death is at work in us but life in you. And that's his ministry. And that's our ministry, is that we, rec- we come closer to Christ in, at the cross. We're willing to suffer. We're willing to be pained. We're willing to be afflicted so that there might be life and joy and rejoicing in others. And that's the, just the beautiful cycle of grace that we receive and we give and others rejoice. So are you compelled by love to that end? Or are you compelled by something else? Are you in Christ today? For those of you who, who have yet to, to make that decision, I, I encourage you, it is a sweet, redemptive work of love and grace and mercy. Though it may have hard implications, it is far better than anything else you could possibly imagine. So I ask you to consider that today if you have not yet given your life to Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. I pray that this, whatever word you have uh, for anyone here today, that if they've listened or their hearts have been moved, Lord, that you would cause them to rejoice. (laughs) That is the goal. That it's always yes in you, Lord, and our yes in you is enough. That your cross was enough not by any earthly wisdom or not by any um, worldly uh, boasting or any worldly intellectual argument, but at the base level, it is, it is your grace, it is your mercy, it is you. When we suffer, when we sin, God, we actually can be drawn nearer to the grace and the love that you have for us, nearer to the cross. also drawn near to the resurrection in the midst of that. We may experience that. And 
all of its joy and splendor. Thank you, Jesus. Move us, Lord, to be uh, compelled, possessed by the Holy Spirit to grow, grow tall in you, grow tall in grace and peace. In Jesus' name, amen.